If you're innovating, creating, or making a difference, this show is for you. Welcome to Over Coffee. I'm Dot Cannon. Here on Over Coffee, we talk with artists and innovators about the process of changing the world in terms of what they do. I think in many ways, a magician and a scientist have a very similar mindset. Magicians love to know how things work. And of course, scientists, we love to discover how things work. Magicians, though, the difference is we try and hide the how. Dr. Matt Pritchard is the science magician. He is both a professional magician, an associate in the world's premier magic society, the Magic Circle, and a science researcher with a PhD in experimental atomic physics. Matt performs science magic shows, in which he explores a common denominator in both his areas of expertise, a sense of wonder. As a speaker and author, Matt works with schools, universities, and organizations to inspire and inform audiences and to get them thinking about the how behind the wow. Matt, which first appealed to you? The science of magic or the magic of science? Oh, do you know what? I think I've always had them as very much parallel streams in my life. So my dad was a scientist, so I was brought up in a household that loved being curious and exploring nature. And ever since I was 10, I've been fascinated with magic as well. And that was that was a hobby which now turned into a career. And so they've for many, many years, they've been parallel strands to my life. And it was only much later that I interweaved them. I would never have seen the common ground until I started looking at your website. Now, I'm speaking to an atomic physicist who is also a member of the world's most prestigious group of magicians. Would you tell me about that journey? What was that like? Yeah, so I did in many ways a very standard academic route. I did physics at university and went on to do some research as a a PhD student in atomic physics, which was working with lasers to make things very cold. And I love the experimental hands-on side of things. It was was very much like playing with grown-up Lego. And so I loved the the play element of the science and the, the asking questions. And magic was something I was sort of doing, doing on the side, really. And it wasn't until I left academia and started working for a science museum, trying to communicate different areas of science that I, I started to see the common ground in the two things that I was doing. I was incorporating some of the performing skills of magic into my science workshops. When you're incorporating some of the magician skills into science workshops, What can a teacher or maybe anybody who has anything to teach, not necessarily even an educator by profession, learn from a magician like you about presenting in such a way as to engage their audience or listeners? A great engagement tool is surprise or showing something that's counterintuitive. I think the moment you experience something and you realize what you thought about the world isn't quite true, as long as it's presented in a safe way. And as long as that gap isn't too huge, people want to know more. And then you've got this sort of intrinsic motivation for discovering what's going on. And for an educator using surprise, using counterintuitive, effectively mystery and magic to hook your audience in can be a great tool. I love watching the ways that you do that on your video. Before we take a look at that, though, I have to ask, 
what's it feel like to be auditioning for the world's most prestigious group of magicians? What do you remember best from that audition? It's very, it's an odd experience because magicians are often the worst audience in a magic show because they, they're sat there and effectively they either want to be fooled or they want to see something that they can steal for their own acts. And so you're in a room with about 30, 40 other magicians, and they're all just sat there with their arms crossed looking at you, other than the front row where they've got three or four judges with clipboards. And that's quite a daunting audience because you don't get really any feedback from it. However, I, in the audition that I did, I deliberately chose to do things that they wouldn't have seen before because I've sat through countless auditions myself and you see the same tricks time and time again. And you can see the audience just sort of, they get bored at that point. So I deliberately chose to do something different and I could see their interest starting to, starting to peak a little bit. What did you do to surprise them? Well, I think my overriding memory was I heard afterwards, there was quite a lot of discussion whether they could let me in or not. And the reason for that was because I was doing things they hadn't seen before. They didn't know, the judges didn't know how to go mark the technical ability because I wasn't doing standard sleight of hand. Then how can you mark technical ability? And I think it, it sort of boiled down to the fact, well, we've no idea how he's doing it. And if we've no idea how he's doing it, he must be quite good at what he's doing. And so it came in under that, really. How much fun must that have been? Taking a look at what you do for schools right now, you have what here in the U.S. would be elementary school here. I think the levels are a little bit different in Great Britain, but you have what would have been elementary school, and then you have kind of a middle school to high school, and then you teach big kids like us with your workshops. Can yeah. we get, let's say, maybe one science principal for the little kids with an illusion, and then maybe look at something that has math involved? that you do yeah so there's one demonstration i love doing and to be honest it works across many ages but particularly it's great for that elementary level is i have a chocolate tin that i put on a ramp and it will roll uphill and immediately you see eyes getting a bit wider because again it's that counterintuitive things are used to go down and this is going up and I think from a very early age, we're, we know what gravity does. And when you see something defy that gravity, it really grabs you. And then at that point, I sort of say, well, how do you think it's working? And inevitably, you get people saying, oh, it's magnets because it's a tin can and or there's a string involved or there's a, often a hamster or something like that. It's like running inside. And, and I love those moments because... You can have so many wonderful discussions with the children about science principles, which, and the thing is, they don't realize they're actually talking about science. They're just trying to figure out a puzzle or a mystery. And you can talk about, well, how do magnets work when it's made of plastic? Would it, would plastic affect things? And, and so that's an example that I use across a lot of age groups, to be honest, because it's such a, gravity such a commonplace thing. For the older groups, I'll often talk about, when it comes to maths, talk about sort of games and probability, how we can, with a little understanding about those things, we can 
exploit those to our advantage. And so I have a, it's a lovely, it's actually a trick that I do, but the presentation's all about how you have a jar of sweets and you get people to guess how many sweets are in the jar. And you can talk about how individually you can be wrong, but working together as a group, that the group average turns out to be a really good estimate for how many sweets are in the jar. Now, that is something that would never have occurred to me. That and what you do with the dice. And we're not suggesting anybody gamble here, but I never knew this, that if you have a die and you have one on the other side of it, do I get this right? It's going to be six on the opposite side. Yeah. So things like with dies, they always add up to seven. And so you, it doesn't matter. Three's on one side, you know, a four's on the other. And, and sometimes magic is just exploiting that little bit extra knowledge that maybe people aren't aware of. Wow. And you talk all the time about a sense of wonder. I'm going to do a shameless plug here because you have a podcast called Words on Wonder, which Thank I'm you. looking forward to hearing. And you're going to be doing some workshops. Where might people find out more about your workshops before we go on? So the Words on Wonder, it's just wordsonwonder.com. It's a series of interviews about the idea of what wonder is and how different people can cultivate that and what makes them curious. And I've, I've interviewed astronauts and bishops and con artists and a whole host of people, basically people who interest me i think they've got something interesting to say and i've just asked them some questions and and that site's just the result of all those interviews and where can people find out more about the workshops you give for both big kids like us and also for the local schools yeah so i'm although i do travel internationally i'm predominantly based in the uk and if you're interested in my schools and some talks for older big kids it's just sciencemagicshows.co.uk. Sciencemagicshows.co.uk. Thank you, yeah. At one point in one of your presentations, you say there was a time where you weren't very satisfied with magic and you weren't very satisfed with science. And I think anybody who's ever done anything creative gets to that point at one point in their career. How'd you get back to the spark that I see now when you're performing? Yeah, I think... I think we can often get so burnt out, can't we, when we're constantly trying to produce stuff. And one of the things I talk about when I work with big kids is always say that our creative input should be greater than our output, that we should be always feasting on new ideas. And for me, I love reading. And so most of my new ideas come through reading. For others, it's watching, it's listening, it's conversations, it's going out into nature and exploring. And I think when I find myself running out of ideas or getting a bit creatively burnt out, I usually take a bit of time to slow down and rest and then just make sure I, I'm feeding and feasting on new ideas. And it's always quite diverse interests as well, because I think, I think when you try and concentrate feeding your ideas in in the field you're trying to work in it doesn't always work because you're just recycling regurgitating existing ideas go for anything that interests you and then i'm sure you can find the links to the work you're trying to do what's a favorite author or one or two favorite authors that you like to read i really love as a british author called robert mcfarlane who 
his books, he takes a big theme. So the book I'm reading at the moment is called Underland. And it's all about anything to do with the underground. So it might be why we're obsessed with caving and getting into confined spaces. It might be the science behind burying nuclear waste. It might be deep underground experiments. And it's a mix of history and geology and science and just sort of social commentary. But what I love about that type of book is it's just full of tiny little tidbits of facts and interesting curiosities. And that authors like that, there's another author called Simon Garfield, who's written books about maps and stamps and miniature models. And I love those types of books where it's just pick an obscure topic and then just explore it. You're giving it mental image of a curiosity cabinet here, but the curiosity cabinet's the imagination. Oh, absolutely. And I'm just looking behind you, Dot, as well at your sort of shelf that you've got in your background and it's full of different objects and curiosities. And I think, yeah, you describe it well. A book like that for me is just a, a cabinet of curiosities that sort of open up and you don't know what's going to be on the next page, but you know it's going to be something fascinating. You share some fun curiosities about magicians, scientists and history on your blog. My favorite was about Houdini, but would you choose one of your favorite curiosity facts about that? And let's share it with our audience. I think one of the ones which is a little bit gruesome, but the magician's name evades me right now. But it was early, so probably 20th century. There was a magician who was famous for making a lion appear. And when the lion appeared, it would always roar on command. And people would go, Well, how have you trained this lion to roar? so on in time and it turned out what they were doing is they were actually electrocuting the lion at the moment they lifted the curtain which obviously is a horrible thing to do so many issues there but one particular night the mechanism that caused the spark to happen actually caused the whole stage to catch fire and the magician sort of definitely felt the consequences of of his choices there and so Maybe not the nicest of curiosities to share, but there's a real mix of magic, history and science. And of course, the part of me that is a total cat lover saying, well, it served him right. Yeah, I think there's a certain justice that's gone on there. A kind of poetic justice. Coming back to the wonder and the sense of discovery and the, if I'm getting this right, it would be wow, how, and now that's behind Mm -hmm. what you do. What is the magician mindset? Is that what that is? So I think, I think in many ways, a magician and a scientist have a very similar mindset. I think magicians are very much interested in the, the wows, the, like I said, the surprising, the counterintuitive, the beautiful, and, and scientists are as well. Magicians love to know how things work. There's a certain, certain power trip with understanding how things work. And of course, scientists, we love to discover how things work magicians though the difference is we try and hide the how we try and keep that secret but i think what we have in common between magic and science is the fact both sets of people like to do the now and what i mean by the now is now what can we do with that now i wonder what would happen it's it's very much a imagination dreaming step 
And so I think in a lot of my work, I try and guide people through, well, looking for things. What's the surprise? What's the wow? Can I understand a little bit more about it? And when I've done that, now what can I do with that? And when you have that, you find it becomes very much a cycle and you just go through it again and again, discovering more and more things. What's been one of your absolute favorite discoveries that you incorporate into a show from being playful and kind of going with the, now what can I do with that? So one of the things I've been doing a lot in the last two years, particularly with the lockdown, is creating a lot of online videos, very short, sort of 10, 20 second videos. And I think one of the things I've discovered and enjoyed the most developing is is just playing around with when you have a glass of water and you look through that glass of water at an object behind it, things happen. Things either reflect or get magnified or or even disappear. And it's something people have known about for, for centuries. It's effectively the glass is acting like a lens. But when you play with something so like a household object, like a glass of water, and, and then you can start doing these little bits of magic with it, I've just loved seeing a very simple idea turn into something really quite wonderful and elaborate. I was having a lot of fun looking at the video you did last December for Christmas where you balanced soda can and you were doing a very complicated balancing act. And you shared that you're probably not going to be let back into your kitchen because your wife didn't care for you using a wine bottle in the course of Yeah, that. so I, I started off with a, a simple stunt of balancing a soda can on its side and then kept on going, well, what if I added something more to it, more to it? And in my early days of experimenting, I I was trying to do it with a bottle of red wine. And because it is just balance, (laughs) sometimes things collapse. And shortly after something went wrong, my wife, Sarah, made it very clear to me two things. One, I shouldn't be doing science in the kitchen. And two, I shouldn't be using bottles of red wine for it. And so that was a, a, a steep learning curve that evening. <laughs> I hope you know how to make a red wine stain disappear. <laughs> what about the psychology of magic? You mentioned that on your website, and I'm not sure what that is. Is that the wonder? Is that something different? Magicians have a, a term in magic called misdirection, which is very much a... I think many magicians would want to rename it, but effectively it's the idea of how do you take an audience's focus from the sneaky stuff and move it to the what we call the effects, the, the magic that's going on. And so when I talk about the psychology of magic, I'm usually talking about the different facets of misdirection. So one of which is, attention and perception. It's the idea of, have you actually seen something or have you missed it? And that's often what we think about with magic. You blink and you miss something, but it's also about what's the sort of mental misdirections. How can you use people's biases and assumptions against them? It's almost like a a judo player. They use the opponent's strength and speed against themselves. And then the third area of misdirection is how you can play with people's memories of an event and create false memories. And in a good magic show, what a magician is doing is they're misdirecting the audience's eyes and thinking and memory all at the same time. 
what's an example of creating a false memory if I'm watching you on stage doing a magic show? So one example is, let's say I'm doing a card trick and I get someone to pick a card. And then a bit later in the show, I'll say, oh, do you remember the card trick? I might do a gesture like this as if I'm shuffling the cards up. And then a little bit later, I'll say sort of about the card trick where we shuffle the cards and we did this. And so I, I'm slowly planting a memory that the spectators saw me shuffle the cards when maybe I didn't. Maybe I shuffled them after the event. And when they get home and they tell their friends, they're suddenly telling their friends an impossible story because they say, well, the magician shuffled the cards and then I picked one and then they shuffled it again. And, and that's not true but the magician has helped tip their memories towards that. I'll never think the same way about watching an illusionist again. Now I'm going to be watching to see if they're really shuffling. When you use the word impossible, you've said in one of your presentations that you really have sort of a love-hate relationship with that word. What's been one thing that you've done, either on your show or just in general, that was impossible, but you were able to accomplish it, that you really felt good about? Oh, again, that's a wonderful question, Dot. I'm going to have to really think about this one. I think one of the things, I love what's called mental magic. And that's that's magic that's, it might not be mind reading, but it's all about predictions and, and crazily high probabilities of things working or not working. And, and so... If I was to choose a trick, it would be something involving that there's one I don't perform that regularly because it's the chances of it going wrong incredibly high. But I have two spectators on stage. I'm completely blindfolded. There's no sneaking in. And I get two people to choose cards. So I can't see what they're choosing. They then put the cards back together. And then I go through the pack of cards and I not only can tell them which two cards they picked by showing them, but I can actually name the cards as well without seeing a single thing. And so that's a trick that I, I love doing because it's just almost impossible. You find two cards and you can name them without seeing a single thing. I'm trying hard not to ask you how, because that would probably destroy the magic. You do explain on your website how some of the things are done. I'm not going to say it here because people are just going to have to look at your website. But what is your thought about that? Sometimes people say, if you show how the trick is done, the magic's gone. That doesn't seem to be what you're saying, though. Yeah, I think it, it totally depends on what your motivation is and also what you're showing them. And I think also there's an element of are you damaging other people's livelihoods by doing so and so for me in some circumstances i'm more than happy to explain what i'm doing because i think you get the second wave of wonder you have the initial surprise of going i can't believe that has just happened but then when you realize what's going on behind the scenes that is maybe more fascinating, more interesting than the actual, the first wave of surprise. And by doing that, I think people have a deeper appreciation for, 
for what you're doing and also it helps them want to explore more when the show's over it helps feed their curiosity and so in a lot of my shows i'll carefully choose things that in many cases i've invented myself so i'm not damaging other people's livelihoods by explaining it because it's my ideas to explain and i also know that what i'm showing them is more interesting than what i first showed them what's one such trick or illusion that you have invented yourself that you really enjoy sharing i think going back to the soda can that's something i love doing it's it's a known stunt with one can but one thing i discovered is you can then start balancing other cans on top of a can and you can build it up it's using the same simple physics but just by going what if and taking things to the extreme what are some of the physics behind this why does this work effectively it's seesaws so you just need to make sure that the force on each side is equal and if it is it's balanced and even though the shape looks like it's shouldn't be balanced the liquid inside is evened out and so it's it becomes half and half and it's like a like a stable seesaw I can't do justice to it here in words but I suggest people take a look at this on your website because it's well worth seeing. You talk about the wow and what wows people but what has made you go wow recently? What gave you a real sense of wonder? I think for me so much of my sense of wonder comes from getting out into nature. Recent example is the other week I was on holiday near the coast and one of the lovely things about being by the coast is you don't get as much light pollution as you would inland and so just on a hot day going out in the evening when it's still warm and just lying down looking up at the sky looking up at the stars some of the planets up there and this was during a period where you had pronounced the name wrong but the perseid showers of meteorites coming over the top and you get to glimpse one or two of them or even if i didn't see them i certainly saw the space station go over and and that just makes me go wow matt also explained how to carry that sense of wonder over into everyday life i think some of it comes from intentionally looking for it i think there's a phrase it's not mine but i've seen a few authors use it it's vujar day and at this point, many people think, oh, Matt, you've got it wrong. It's deja vu. No, Vujar Day is seeing the extraordinary in the ordinary or the magical in the mundane. And I think having that sort of mindset that things in front of you, things in your own home, things in your back garden, things in conversations with friends and family, there's some extraordinary moments in that. And just approaching life, thinking, well, what can I find that's wonderful here? And I think if you do that, and if you just spend a little bit longer than you perhaps would normally, you're going to start spotting things that are going to make you go, wow. You've shared that you were a dad. What have you learned about wonder and about play and having fun from your kids? I think play comes from really having a safe environment of knowing that you can't make mistakes. And when things are a lot more open-ended and safe, that's a great environment. And when you have kids and they sort of, they almost intuitively 
feel that and you learn a lot from children seeing them just explore without having a goal in mind i've used the phrase big kid several times in the course of our mm. conversation how do you as a big kid most want to grow and explore in the next five years or so as the science magician in many ways the pandemic and the lockdown was great creatively for me once i'd got past the initial oh my goodness what's going on here oh my goodness what's happened to my business having the time and the space to do things without the pressure to try and get results meant it was an incredibly fertile time in terms of creativity and so moving forward i would want to be more intentional about creating those moments where i can just play and explore and i looking back i think some of my best work has just come from a very open-ended exploration final shameless plug here but where can people see you performing this autumn internationally or in your local area so most of my work at the moment is within schools and so that's not necessarily the best environment to see me perform. What I would say is I perform through my little 10, 20 second social media sort of clips. And so if you want to get a taste, if you want to engage your sort of creativity and critical thinking, binge watch some of my videos that I put on things like Instagram and Twitter and just just try sit there and go, how would I do this? If I was making this, how would I do that? What principles do I know that could be used to make this? Because I made them at home with stuff out of my recycling bin, stuff from my toy box. So there's nothing particularly fancy in what I've done. They've just in disguise. I love that for a creative challenge. My signature question for my podcast, if people could only get one thing from you about innovation, creativity, and making a difference... What would you like them to take away from the work you're doing as a science magician? I think it'd be that phrase that you mentioned of wow, how now, of look for the wow, try and figure out a bit more about it, but then don't stop. And that's where I think the mistake lots of people make. Once they understand something, they stop, but then go, now, what can I do differently? What can I change? How can I apply that? Matt, thank you for your time today. Oh, thank you. You're most welcome. You and I have been listening to Dr. Matt Pritchard, the science magician. Get a look at some of Matt's magic illusions on his YouTube channel, Science Magic Shows. And you can also follow him on Twitter at Science Magician. And be sure you check out his podcast, Words on Wonder, at wordsonwonder.com. That's wordsonwonder.com. And here's one more link for you. You can hear his TED Talk on the quantum state of wonder, on his website, sciencemagicshows.co.uk. That's sciencemagicshows.co.uk. You will be wowed, and you may very well come away with some great new creative ideas. And that concludes this edition of Over Coffee. Thank you for listening. Listen to more Over Coffee podcasts at twomavericks.com. That's two... T-W-O, Mavericks, M-A-V-E-R-I-X. And you can contact us at twomavericks at gmail.com. The music you're hearing is royalty-free production music provided by Pond5 at pond5.com. I'm Dot Cannon. Here's wishing you a cappuccino day.